You're listening to Everyday Evidence, presented by the American Occupational Therapy Association, helping the occupational therapy practitioner apply evidence to practice. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Today, we are joined by Julia Kuhn, a current occupational therapist at Amber Hill Therapy Centers, a St. Francis University graduate and former fieldwork student at the American Occupational Therapy Association. Thanks for being on the show today, Julia. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you completed a fieldwork here at AOTA not too long ago, and I'm currently doing my capstone at AOTA, and I just have to ask, how does it feel to be a fully certified, licensed, and newly employed real occupational therapist? You know, Matt, it is the craziest thing to be able to say you've made it to the other side. You know, you've done the work, you've finished field work, you've passed your boards. It's so crazy and so exciting. And sometimes I feel like I still need to pinch myself to believe that it's actually real to put OTRL at the end of my name. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm looking forward to and excited to get to that point as well. Um, So very happy for you right now. Thank you. No problem. We want to hear more about uh, more details about your work during the show. But first, I uh, want to discuss your experience as a fieldwork student with the American Occupational Therapy Association. Uh, right off the bat, Julia, what made you want to complete a fieldwork at the AOTA? Oh, gosh. Well, this is such a fun story. So I remember one day I was the president of our Student Occupational Therapy Association at St. Francis, and I was just really interested in seeing what more our soda could do. With AOTA, I knew that we were all encouraged to be members, but I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about AOTA, which then through searching through the website, I had saw that we had the opportunity to do a fieldwork experience through AOTA. And I was like, man, you know how exciting that would be, right? Just to be able to say, hey, I did this with the American Occupational Therapy Association. And what a unique opportunity that would be. So I remember searching through the website, the different options that they had for fieldwork experiences. I remember applying back in January 2019. And and actually, I went to the AOTA annual conference in April of 2019. And I I always I told Deborah this, and I think it's the funniest story because I made sure I found a session that she was in so I could kind of see her face, know who she was, and they had an Ask the AOTA Expert Panel thing that they were doing, and I had saw that Deborah was a part of that, so I was like, all right, let's let's put on your big big girl pants and introduce yourself to Deborah. You applied for this to field work experience. You really want it. So let's just do it. So I know I had introduced myself. I was like, hi, I'm Julia Kuhn. Like I applied for a field work at AOTA and evidence-based practice. And I know you're the contact for that. And she was like, oh, hi, <laughs> nice to meet you. We swapped business cards. And then I think within the next two weeks, we had done a full interview and had basically started the whole process of trying to figure out some dates that would work for that experience. So I was pretty, pretty lucky that it all worked out super well. But I know just throughout my experience with undergrad, I was really interested in research and particularly what OT can do with research and the whole concept of taking that taking what we know from research and then applying it into practice and that whole bit on knowledge translation was just so interesting to me. So I was like, gosh, you know, if I can do something to learn more about that, I would love to. (laughs) 
So that's how it all kind of materialized. It's one of my fondest memories back in OT school. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that story. It yeah. really was that you were just a, a go-getter. I uh, knew you wanted to do a field work there and, and did what you had to do to make it happen. Yeah, I really tried. Thank you. <laughs> of course, of course. And you mentioned Deborah um, Lieberman, who's yeah. part of the evidence-based practice team at AOTA. And you worked with that entire team during your field work. Uh, why did you choose to work with this team within AOTA? Yeah, well, first off, Deborah is fantastic. If you don't know about her, she, <laughs> you really should because she has done so much within the field of occupational therapy and specifically with evidence-based practice. So anybody listening, definitely just search Deborah Lieberman into AJOT and you'll find a ton of articles that she's been co-authored on. So she's very, very exciting, very sweet lady. Um, being with the evidence-based practice team was so, so cool because you really got to learn a lot about what they were doing with taking the evidence, bringing it into practice, how that works in a marketing standpoint versus all of the different resources that AOTA has available. I know for me, one of the things that was exciting about completing field work was just seeing the pure volume of materials that AOTA pumps out basically on an annual basis of trying to really support practitioners in their practice and making sure that what we're doing is evidence-based, evidence-informed. I like that you mentioned how just the extreme quantity of materials that AOTA does pump out. Um, what were some of the projects that you worked on specifically during your fieldwork there? Yeah, so one of my favorite things that I was able to do at AOTA included working with a knowledge translation toolkit team. It's a team of researchers essentially based out of Ohio State University, and they're really trying to work on creating these materials to help make translating the, the evidence into uh, tangible bits to use in practice, kind of making that whole process a lot easier because I know a lot of people look at research and <laughs> there are some people who look at it and are like, man, I understand this completely. Everything makes sense. But for the majority of people, they look at research and they're like, holy cow, how am I supposed to sift through any of this? This is so overwhelming. And so the KT toolkit team really was like, you know what, let's try and break down these barriers. Let's see what do people perceive as barriers to implementing evidence into practice? What do people see as facilitators or supports into evidence? implementing evidence into practice and then how can we identify different resources or different things like that where we would be able to then break down some of these barriers to make it easier and support practitioners into um, taking this evidence into practice and so my role with the team is AOTA had done a survey for AOTA members and non-members of just but instead of talking about perceived barriers and facilitators to this process, I was able to look through all of the respondents, all of the responses for that. So about over 800 responses, I read through every single one. So you can imagine it was quite the process, <laughs> but we were going through and just organizing it and really seeing, okay, what is some of the things that people are perceiving as a specific barrier or what are some things that they're like, look, if I had just this, I could do this and I want to do this. But I just need that extra little bit of support. So it was fun to be able to just help assist with that and kind of see a little bit more of what 
practitioners were saying, people out in the field doing the thing, you know, um, to say, hey, you know, I'd love to do more evidence-based practice, but I'm just kind of missing that extra piece of how to get there. That was super exciting. I also got to work on a couple different quality um, items. I got to work with Jeremy Furness on just seeing some things with the PD, oh gosh, it would have been PDGM rolling out of making sure that the resources we were providing to OTs were accurate and really fulfilled what they needed. And I also was able to go to different conferences with members of AOTA. So I went to the PDGM conference. I was able to go to Student Conclave and talk to people about what evidence-based practice means and some of the resources that AOTA has available. I was able to meet with the marketing team and just see kind of the stuff that they're putting out with OT practice, OT student pulse, different things like that. Meeting with Sherry and just kind of talking about her journey and how she got to where she is with AOTA and the respect she has for OT. And then I remember thinking like, gosh, you know, AOTA does so many things. And I just wish somebody put all of this into one place so that you could then point new AOTA members, AOTA student members to this one like resource just to say like, hey, here are just some of the things that AOTA does for you and why your membership holds so much more value rather than just a sum of money you pay annually without thinking about it. And so then I was able to write a blog post and just say, hey, here are some of the things AOTA does for you, specifically with evidence-based practice. You know, AOTA is here to support you and they have all of these resources and all of these resources that are so easily accessed to you through your membership that you should really, you know, check it out. <laughs> That's awesome. You were a part of so many projects and got to do so much on your fieldwork experience. What does it feel like to see those products now being accessible or soon to be accessible to AOTA members? Honestly, Matt, it's kind of one of the craziest things I think I've done in my life so far. <laughs> it is so cool to be able to see like all of these things that I was able to work on a little over a year ago, really coming to fruition and knowing that people will be able to use these resources to hopefully make life a little bit easier. It's, it's surreal. <laughs> it's really cool. That's awesome. How do you feel your fieldwork experience benefited the American Occupational Therapy Association and our profession as a whole? Yeah, so such an interesting question. I'm glad you asked. I think it was really cool because at the time I did my fieldwork, I was a non-traditional fieldwork student. I guess I should have mentioned that earlier. So I completed my master's of occupational therapy. So as compared to a doctoral capstone, you know, we don't really have that extra field work bit built into the curriculum. So for me, it was really trying to navigate. Can I squeeze, <laughs> squeeze some sort of field work experience in between the time of restarting my first and second level two field work? So we were able to do my whole field work experience with AOTA in about eight weeks which was crazy to think how much you were really able to push in a, such a small uh, period of time. What was exciting about that um, and being as young as I was is being able to provide a viewpoint to some topics, some different resources that AOTA was working on that maybe wasn't 
necessarily being considered or just to kind of look at some projects with fresh eyes to say, hey, you know, I know a specific viewpoint from the students and also working with SODA and working with the Assembly of Student Delegates and talking to so many people about their OT journeys and kind of where they were at and in that space. I think it was hopefully pretty valuable to be able to provide that viewpoint and just kind of say like, hey, you know, here's something that maybe you didn't consider or, hey, you know, you're so close to this information. I'm coming at it with fresh eyes. Here's a bit bit that maybe I think is confusing to people who are looking at it for the first time or, hey, you know, when you go onto the website, I remember it it was the it was the craziest, not crazy, it's kind of just one of the simplest things I think I told um, Larry Richardson, who works on the evidence-based practice team, was talking to her one day, and I said, you know, we have access as AOTA members to all of these international journals. We've got access to AJOT, we've got access to the British Journal of Occupational Therapy, the Canadian Journal of Occupational Therapy, the Australian Journal of Occupational Therapy, and it is so hard to figure out how to access those from the website. I said, what if we just put a hyperlink on that evidence-based practice page of the website that just takes you straight to those journals so you don't have to worry about trying to navigate through the website to find this resource. And she was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. That's such a good idea. Why don't, (laughs) why don't we have that? And so I remember like maybe about a week or two later it was up. I said, hey, I did that, (laughs) (laughs) which was so fun. (laughs) I thank you for doing that. And I'm sure students and practitioners all over the country, thank you for doing that as well. We, We love to see all research become more accessible and more consumable even with with just having a link to it that helps a lot right I was like it's just it was the simplest thing and then I was like oh okay now I know I have it bookmarked on my laptop so anytime I'm looking up research I'm like oh here we go and just (laughs) click away that's awesome that's awesome we'll get back to our interview right after this quick message you all know we really try to make research more consumable and applicable on everyday evidence But did you know that just one minute of your time could help us to improve the show, improve the resources the American Occupational Therapy Association provides for practitioners, and improve the application of evidence to practice within our whole field? Please take our one-minute survey. It's only three questions, and you can find the link in this and every episode's description. And support the AOTA in continued efforts to improve our podcasts and to improve the translation of research to practice. Now back to the interview. Julia, did your viewpoint on evidence-based practice and applying evidence-related findings to practice change as a result of your fieldwork experience? It is such an interesting question. So I know through my um, OT program, we definitely had such an emphasis on research, especially we had a thesis project we were doing. So they really drove home the point that, you know, research, (laughs) research is important. So I knew I went into the AOTA field were kind of with the same mindset, like research is important. Let's think about it some more. But I think what was cool about being in with AOTA is really seeing like, yeah, research is important, but it's also important to know that we're able to bridge the gap for people of all kinds of different backgrounds and everything. You know, you go into the field as an OT, not everybody received the exact same education as you, right? So some people feel super comfortable with evidence-based practice and going in and researching interventions, researching different 
standardized assessments, what have you, um, looking at a practice guideline and saying, yeah, this all makes sense to me. Whereas some people, I know especially some people who maybe are bachelor trained or got on to the master's train as soon as as soon as that kind of rolled out who are like you know evidence-based practice we kind of understand it we kind of don't we've got this clinical experience that we're just kind of kind of keep in line with that and so it's interesting because through my experience with AOTA I was some a viewpoint I don't think I ever really considered as much as like oh okay you know sometimes you may be out in the field and hit some resistance of people maybe not thinking that evidence-based practice is as important as you do. So being able to have some of those tough conversations and bridge the gap and kind of talk about that, I think was definitely something worthwhile that came out of my experience with AOTA. Absolutely. I think evidence-based practice is something that's for everyone, whether you're a master's student, an OTD student, an OTA student, or, or any level of practitioner evidence-based practice and knowledge translation impacts all of us and all of our patients as well. Um, so thank you for sharing that, that viewpoint of yours. Yeah. Um, it made me rem remember about the choosing wisely campaign. So I know before going into the AOTA field work, I knew kind of about it. I knew I had seen it on promotional items through AOTA, but I didn't know as much about the Choosing Wisely campaign. And I think it's just important to bring up, especially because talking about knowledge translation and all of that is through the process of my OTA fieldwork, kind of looking at that process, everything that they went through, all of the research they sorted through, all of the reaching out to AOTA members and everything about, okay, what are some interventions they want us to learn more about and what can we do for them? And just joining that campaign and everything, I think was so, that's a great thing that AOTA did and really such a benefit to practice because I know even after they developed the five choosing wisely guidelines, then they were like, all right, we're going to produce some more supplemental materials to be able to then say, hey, you know, we made these recommendations. Well, here's some follow-up stuff about them. So it's not just like, hey, don't, don't do this. It's like, hey, don't do this, but instead maybe try this or hey, while you're doing this, here are some other things that you can do. So that was really cool too. And I, for, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I almost forgot that that was such a big part of my fieldwork experience because the Choosing Wisely campaign, I think is so worthwhile. And just like you said, of making, making it something that you know, everybody can benefit from. And all these resources are so beneficial. And any of our listeners who want to look at them or learn more about them or see for yourself all the things that Julia did on her fieldwork, um, they're all available on that evidence-based practice page at the AOTA website in easily accessible links. Thanks to Julia. I'll ask you some questions now more about your career and how your fieldwork has influenced you in your early and budding stages of your career. How did your fieldwork experience change your approach to the OT process overall? I got to my AOTA fieldwork right after doing a level two in acute care. And I remember thinking like, gosh, you know, I, I had looked into some of the research for an in-service presentation I did in acute care, but I didn't really think about it too much with 
so far as evaluations and interventions goes. And I did a level two fieldwork in pediatrics shortly after my fieldwork with AOTA ended. And it really was something I thought about all the time with all of the different cases we were able to see. I saw feeding kids, I saw kids on the autism spectrum, kids with ADHD, kids with these diagnoses that you've never heard of in school. (laughs) And I remember just thinking like, okay, you know, what are some things that I know would be helpful for this? Or what are some assessments that I know are going to be able to measure what I'm looking for here and different things like that. So I think the AOTA field work really kind of helped add that extra component of, okay, I know I'm trying to learn, you know, how to be an OT and what that process looks like, but then also thinking like, hey, you know, you don't have to bring it all up from scratch. You're able to go into the research and see different things, see what people have put out there and, you know, what can be beneficial or supplemental to your practice. And what I really like too is knowing sometimes I'll just go go on an AJOT and I'll look and I'll, I remember typing in like children and youth and just seeing like, oh, what pops up and different interventions that have some level of evidence behind like ADLs, IADLs, and even outside of just the broad categories, like specific things when talking about things such as like sleep participation and establishing different roles and routines and what in the research was kind of beneficial for all of those. And even just thinking like, okay, if this isn't going to be applicable to say a specific patient that I'm thinking of on my caseload. I know somewhere down the line this information could be (laughs) and probably will be relevant to me in my practice. And so just reading through some of those and saying, yeah, okay, I'll save that little nugget of wisdom for for another day because I'm sure I'll probably need it. It's fun to see how you can kind of translate it across context. Yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting things about our profession is how holistically we approach treating our patients. Um, And so even in the research, things aren't always going to be, you know, cut and dry with clear answers to to all our questions, but there's still room to implement our own clinical reasoning and consider all the person and environmental factors of uh, the people that we're working with. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun because I feel like that's always such a <laughs> such a bittersweet moment for people, right? Because we love that we have our clinical judgment. We're able to make, you know, recommendations and do different interventions that we think are in our patient's best interest. But then you have also sometimes we're just like, dang, can someone just tell me what to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, just tell me week one, week two, week three. This is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's fun striking that balance. Absolutely. Julia, how would you say that you've been able to use the skills or knowledge you developed on your fieldwork at AOTA in your new job at Amber Hill? Yeah, so definitely, like I had mentioned, looking into the research and seeing what's out there. So I have the really unique experience through my job at Amber Hill Therapy Centers just to be able to work with several different client populations. So I kind of have a mix right now. I'd say roughly about 50-50% of pediatrics and adult-based clients in the outpatient setting. So what's really cool is just being able to use some of those skills from AOTA of going in the research and saying, hey, what are some things that are supported 
with these populations or these diagnoses, um, especially if they're things that, you know, I don't have specific experience with on field work that I'm able to use that clinical judgment and say, hey, you know, this would be beneficial or, oh, I'm reading this in the research. Maybe that's something that people would have done before, but you know, an overhead pulley's not really going to do it for us <laughs> nowadays. In, not in all situations, obviously. Uh, some people love the overhead pulley, but I know that was a choosing wisely recommendation that some people were like, excuse me, how dare you? <laughs> Julia, have you encountered a lot of challenges to using evidence in your practice? And if so, how are you overcoming those? No, you know, sometimes I think there is that balance of figuring out what does the research say and then what is durable, achievable, um, able to be translated into the home, different things like that. So for me, I like to kind of try and see and evaluate what's out there and given, you know, I'm not perfect. I wish I could say I have all, all of this evidence on every single condition I treat and I'm very, very well informed. <laughs> it is definitely a process of getting there and kind of seeing what's out there. Um, and sometimes, you know, it comes down to is something that I'm doing in therapy being able to be replicated in the home and having that carryover aspect. I worry sometimes that, you know, some people are like, oh, okay, you're doing it in therapy and that's enough and we don't have to carry it over in the home or okay, we hear you, but also you are kind of young, so we're taking what you say with a grain of salt. <laughs> So sometimes I think those can be some perceived barriers, but it's really just kind of for me looking, looking at what the research says, looking at what some of the textbooks, some of my textbooks say and just saying like, you know, this is the recommendation. This is what's going to be helping you get to where you want to be, where you need to be. And I would love to discuss it further if you'd like more information or more research sources I've had. Several patients tell me like, oh, yeah, honey, please, can you send like any recommendations you have, like anything you have, please just send it my way. And it's nice because I'll go in and I'll, I'll be like, oh, OK, what's the research say or what materials do I have from AOTA that can really help me with this and pass that along? Yeah, it's definitely a fun balance to try and figure out. Plus, you know, on top of a pandemic, life's always so much fun. <laughs> Ad adds to the equation. It really um, does. It really does. Julia, it's, it's very clear how passionate you are about evidence. You you really are an evidence-based champion. What is kind of your, your evidence regimen or routine? Do you like schedule in times that you're going to spend consulting evidence and doing research? Or is this something more that you use as you need it um, when the when the opportunity arises when you're working with a patient? What, what kind of would you say about that? Yeah, well, thank you first for that, that compliment. That's very sweet of you to say. I definitely think it's kind of a little bit of a mix of both. So I'm lucky in so much of the fact that my schedule, I have Tuesday and Thursday mornings open at this point. So I like to try and take some time, you know, make a fresh cup of coffee in the morning, sit down, kind of just skim through, see if there's some things that maybe with specific patients, I'm like, hey, you know, I want to know more about this intervention or I'm kind of feel like I'm hitting a wall with something I can look into. So kind of trying to take some time to just to say, okay, there are 
kind of consulting some of those things that you just don't know, right? So you have a certain amount of experience through level one, level two field works, through all of your preparation for boards, what have you. But at the end of the day, there are just some things that you just don't know, especially as a new grad. And I'm sure seasoned therapists can say the same thing. So kind of trying to make a list, kind of confront some of the things what you do and do not know in your practice and then say, okay, here are some areas for growth that I have now. Where do I go from here? You know, what what can I consult? Where is my first line of reasoning to start trying not to get it to be too overwhelming? But I know sometimes then also, if it's not generally, sometimes I'll have a specific patient on my caseload and I'm like, dang, you know, there are some resources I definitely know or out there that I just need to find for, for this patient. And so I'm going to set some time apart in my schedule, maybe even just starting with saying 15 minutes. I'm going to put 15 minutes on Thursday morning and I'm just going to see what I can find on this specific thing and letting the exploration grow from there. I like that. I think it's so important to have a plan and, and be deliberate in, in all things related to our profession, including consuming evidence and, and applying it to practice. I definitely think it's easier when it's a part of your routine, right? So with, as OTs, we're so adamant about, you know, the specific roles and routines that people have and making sure we can help them return to those or establish new ones. And I think, you know, it's definitely something where we can turn the lens into ourselves and say, okay, you know, this is something that's important to me. How can I establish it into my routine and kind of like just making a short-term and long-term goal for yourself. So you're like, all right, long-term, I want to be this evidence-based professional. And how can I do that? And you're like, all right, in the short term, by the end of February, I'm going to have read three different evidence-based articles about X diagnosis. And then, you know, by the end of two months, I'll be able to have read 10 um, articles about a certain diagnosis, or I will be able to say I've put half an hour into my week being able to read evidence and kind of just making it just like we do with our patients, those short, achievable goals so that then it's not this super overwhelming thing. Absolutely. I love that recommendation. Julia, what would you say is the overall value of completing a fieldwork with the evidence-based team at AOTA? Oh, wow. Well, I don't even know if I could pinpoint it down to one or two things. I think being a part of AOTA, I think I told Deborah and Hillary almost every single day, can you just pinch me? I feel like I'm dreaming because there is no way this is real and that I'm actually here right now. <laughs> And so it's just really cool to be a part of that and to know that our national organization is really doing so much to keep OT practitioners in the forefront of their mind. You know, try they listen and they hold lots of community engagement, community outreach type events just to see, okay, what what can we do, you know, that will bring value for our profession or what aren't we doing that we should be doing to make sure that like we are supporting OT practitioners in their careers all throughout their abilities, whether it's new grad, seasoned practitioner, um, student, what have you. And so it's really sweet to know how much that they're doing, but also then with the EVP team in particular saying like, 
okay, they understand that this can be a challenge for some people and they are constantly think up new new ways to keep members engaged to kind of think of ways that they can help support OT practitioners in what they're doing and trying to make this whole concept of the evidence a little bit less scary because for some people, you know, it, it really is. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's great to hear. I've just got a couple more questions for you now, Julia. We're getting towards the end of our time. Uh, but I, w- I want to ask what resources you would recommend to our listeners who want to learn more about a similar fieldwork experience or about preparing to enter the workforce or even just about consuming evidence in general. What resources would you tell them to turn to? Yeah, so I actually, I had mentioned a little earlier that I had written a blog post for AOTA just about some of the different resources that AOTA specifically has available. So I would reference that because it sometimes I know helps me just to see things written out and typed out. So they've got all of the different different practice guidelines. They've got systematic reviews. They've got critically appraised topics and They've got lots of information there. They've got the evidence connection articles. They've got links to ADOT, all of the international journals. So really, I would think that's a good place to start with just seeing what specifically AOTA has to offer. And so I know there's a web page on AOTA's website that specifically just talks a little bit about like fieldwork at AOTA that was definitely very informative and saying just what the application process looks like, what each of the fieldwork experiences kind of look like. I'd also welcome anybody if they want to reach out to me, feel free. I love talking about AOTA. I love talking about my time at AOTA and how beneficial it was, but also, you know, if you're interested in a fieldwork perhaps not in evidence-based practice, but in a different area at AOTA. I know a lot of the different AOTA fieldwork students were able to write blog posts on the AOTA blog and just talk about their experience. I would even recommend just going into those and reaching out to those people and seeing if they've got any specific advice for you as well. And then as far as advice, for a new practitioner, you know, I recommend kind of really looking into community, looking at the different practice settings that they have, and even just trying to make some of those networking connections with specific people, you know, finding yourself a mentor, somebody to bounce ideas off of, because, you know, when you get into the real world and you get into practice and there's all of these things to think about and consider when it comes to the whole OT process and treatments, interventions, evaluations, discharge planning, all that, all that jazz. It's really nice to have somebody who, you know, has been there and done that and is able to help offer some support, maybe bounce some ideas off of. You're not alone and you're, it's going to be okay. You just take it one step at a time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Do you have any tips for preparing for the certification exam? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the good old MVCOT. So I think what's something that actually was really helpful to me was all of the tools really that they had. I know I had taken practice exams, particularly I think practice exams from MVCOT were helpful because, you know, you were able to simulate the exam, you sat down, you answered all of your questions, you kind of walk through the clinical simulation test questions, and you were able to really 
simulate what that was going to look like, what that was going to feel like. So I remember I took several, <laughs> several of those just to really kind of prepare me for that. I know friends that had um, gotten other different podcasts and stuff that they would listen to. I'm trying to think of who specifically. I know um, OT Exam Prepper was one a lot of people liked. OT Marie was something a lot of people liked. For me, one of the things that was helpful for me too was just creating a study plan. So, you know, right after graduation, being so excited to celebrate, like, wow, we did it. Like all of this academic coursework is behind us. We get to just focus on the MBCOT, passing it, and then bada bing, bada boom, you're you're in, you know, you're in OT and you get to start this wild journey of grad life and what was helpful was just kind of sitting down and saying, okay, obviously there's a lot of in- information that is on the national certification exam and just kind of breaking it down and saying, I know I went through the exam outline, I actually had an assignment for this, but you went through the exam outline and you just wrote down different either topics that related to the outline or different book chapters or resources that we had had in class that would be able to help prepare you for that. So I remember looking back at that saying, okay, I've already gone through the exam outline. I've outlined different resources that would be available to me through all of my textbooks and everything. And so how can I kind of create this study plan that is going to really help target, you know, some of the things that I don't feel like I know a lot about. So like doing a field work in pediatrics, I felt pretty good about a lot of the stuff related to peds, but I know different stuff related to neuro, the neuro-based population. I was like, holy cow, I need to learn a lot more about that. So going through and looking at those textbooks and saying, here's some of that specific information. And then going through and taking some boards prep questions related to that and saying, okay, now that I feel more confident that I've had a little bit of, re- of a review on the specific material, the specific information, now I'm then able to look at these questions, kind of narrow down my answers and then kind of figure out which, which answer I think is the one that they're looking for. Um, that's another thing I'd recommend is if you are doing Sports type questions, I would try and look in the materials that offer you an explanation for the correct answer. So I know um, a lot of times I kind of start to feel bogged down, like, wow, I just got five incorrect answers in a row. Like, obviously, something's connected here, but it was maybe just one specific word in the question that popped out. And I was like, oh, I meant I must have read the question too fast. I missed that word and the entire answer changed. And so really kind of using some of those testing skills. Hope that helps. I think I think it really will hearing uh, about your experience in preparing for the the exam. Um, I also want to ask about your experience conducting a job search and how you kind of approached that and what tips you would have for listeners who are preparing to do the same thing or are currently conducting a job search of their own? Yeah, so super fun trying to find a job in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'd like to first and foremost say, please do not stress too much about finding a job immediately. 
Um, I think that was a big thing that myself and a lot of my classmates were in really impression of is that we were going to pass our boards and then the next day we we're going to have 17 job offers and we we're going to have so many to choose from. <laughs> so I say that just to kind of say, you know, you pass your boards, very exciting time, take the time to celebrate that. And then when you're thinking about your first job, really kind of thinking about a population you'd like to work with, a setting you'd like to work in, and then just some specific supports that you need, right? So for me, I knew I wanted to work in the outpatient setting. I knew I wanted to be on a team, and I really wanted to know that I could have a good rapport with my coworkers, with my bosses, knowing that communication was open and a big thing I think with the job search that people forget about is it's not just like you're interviewing for a position, but you're kind of interviewing them for, you know, what your work-life balance is going to look like, what your work life is going to look like, who your coworkers are, and just knowing that it's more important to wait to find, you know, that good fit and knowing that you're at a company that is going to be supporting your professional development, they want to support you and your growth within wherever they may be, a hospital, an outpatient setting, a skilled nursing facility, an emerging area of practice, whatever it is, you want to know that it's really going to be that good fit. So it's okay to still be a little picky. And also just to know that when you're in the interview, that you should know a little bit about yourself and some things that you need. So I remember I went in, which is super fun. Um, when I saw the posting for my current job, they were like two to three years of OT experience recommended. Um, I'd really like to find somebody who is comfortable treating um, both adults and pediatrics and all this stuff. And I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, two to three years recommended experience. I don't have that, but remember having read something online that said, you know, just because you don't have the experience they're looking for doesn't mean, you know, you can be a good fit for them. And so I applied for the position and I remember that was something that came up in the interview. One of the, the first interview, they were like, yeah, we know like you don't have the two to three years experience. Can we just kind of talk a little bit about that? And I said, look, you know, I don't, but I do have the confidence in what I do know as an OT and also knowing, you know, what I don't know. I'm never going to lie to a patient and tell them like, I know all of these things and I'm going to make all of these recommendations to you and have nothing to back it up. I said, I'm not going to do that. And also knowing myself that I would like some mentorship and some guidance in this role to know that I will be successful for myself as a clinician, but also, you know, providing the best care that I can for our patients. And I remember my my now boss at the time was like, you know, that's really great that you said that because it wasn't something I think we would have thought of, of like making sure we have new hire guidance, mentorship explicitly kind of what does that look like for you so I was able to in that first interview say you know it looks it looks like weekly meetings for the first couple of months getting on my feet and then maybe bi-weekly meetings monthly meetings when I start to feel a little bit more comfortable in my role in my position and they were really able to follow through for that and provide me with a lot of support in this position, which I'm super grateful for. But I know a lot of times new grads are kind of like, well, gosh, if I just get a job, 
that's it, right? But your job does become, you know, a big part of your life. So being able to be your own self-advocate, you know, the same type role that you want for your patients and to do that for yourself and just say, hey, you know, I know that there are certain things that I need to be able to be successful and I'm not afraid to for them or be able to ask for help. People like that, though. Thanks for sharing how how much of a go-getter you are and just being honest, being confident and advocating for yourself really can make such a huge difference. Um, right. I think it's always fun to say, hey, you know, we, we want this for our patients. Why don't we want this for ourselves? Right. Very well said. As, yeah. as much as as much as self-advocacy and really knowing, um, you know, your strengths in your areas for growth, I think is so important. Yeah. Well, Julia, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been really fun talking to you and, and hearing about your experience at AOTA um, and kind of now your career path. Um, I just have one more question for you before you go. Uh, this is our, our golden nugget segment. So I want to ask you if there's one piece of advice or knowledge that you could share with our listeners, what would you say? Well, <laughs> that's I, wow, I love that question, Matt, but you've really stumped me a little bit. <laughs> so I would say my, one of my best pieces of, of advice, I'm going to go, um, I want to say new grads, but honestly, I think this would probably apply to anybody is just, you know, have the confidence in yourself, right? You did the work, you went through school, you read, you read everything there was to read, you took the test, you did the practicals, you sat, you went through field work, you learned as much as you could, and you really will know a lot more than I think you give yourself credit for when you go out into the field, but also then knowing you do know a lot, and there is also stuff that you're not going to know, and that's okay, because if um, we went out in the field and we knew everything there was to know, then you know, we really wouldn't have a job because <laughs> because everybody would know everything, right? So give yourself some grace. Know that you have a lot, a lot to bring to the table and that this is a lifelong learning process. And if it's exciting, it's the field of occupational therapy that has so much room for growth and really never, never forget like you are you are capable and you did the work and you'll continue to do the work and it's going to be great. <laughs> Is that Thank good? You. Yeah, I, good I think that's an <laughs> excellent golden nugget and great takeaway. Um, thank you again so much for your time, Julia. Yeah, it was really great having you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out. Good luck with you know, the rest of your field work with AOTA. It is such an exciting thing to be a part of. And if you ever need anything, please feel free to reach out, contact me. Um, I am always here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to Everyday Evidence. Tune in next time for more evidence-based practice insights and applications.